This is Ride It Out, the LBS Community Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Laren. Each week, founders, startup enthusiasts, and investors share their sector insights as well as career advice. Welcome to the new Ride It Out podcast series, Breaking into Venture Capital. Over the next few episodes, we'll explore different topics on how to help you land your dream job in VC. Now, why did we decide to do this? Well, very simple, by popular demand. We know how opaque and mind-boggling the venture capital industry is from the outside, and we wanted to demystify some of the topics for you. Now, the key question is, why should you be giving up your precious time to listen to this? Well, we've been on this journey before, and we wanted to share the good, the bad, and the ugly of our experiences in the hope that you won't be making the same mistakes as we did. And today I'm very excited to introduce my co-host, Anjum Rangwala. Welcome, Anjum. Hey, Catherine. It's great to be here. It's great to have you back. So Anjum is my co-host for this new series, Breaking into Venture Capital. And for those of you that have been tuning into the previous episodes, you would know that she spent a few years working on in investment banking in New York. But she also interviews founders in the startup ecosystem. So check out her Medium blog. Oh, and Andrew's fun fact, she was a nearly a semi-pro um, ice skater. Isn't that right? <laughs> I wouldn't go as far to say semi-pro, but <laughs> well, I did do it in my free time and it was a fun, fun activity. Fabulous. So I guess this is the episode where we're focusing on how to land a VC interview. And we will cover how to find your competitive advantage, your USP or your North Star in a highly competitive world, how to get that coffee chat invite and really stand out and make a great first impression, and how to eventually convert the coffee chat into an interview invitation, which is no easy task. However, worth saying is that we have some really cool episodes lined up for you in this series, Breaking Into Venture Capital. So do stay tuned in for those. But shall we dive straight into it, Anjum? Let's do it. Let's do it. So before we talk about landing a VC interview, we wanted to quickly demystify what are some of the roles available within a venture capital firm, most people assume it's only a, an investment associate role, but there's several other ones as well. So for example, yeah. go on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, you know, obviously, like you said, everyone thinks of a venture capital fund, they think of an investing role. But, you know, there are a lot of other roles that people go for in a VC fund as a junior person. And some of those include business development, community manager, research roles, and also in a lot of the US funds, a couple of roles that have become very popular as of late are platform roles and chief of staff roles. Um, you know, as more funds come about and deals are becoming increasingly competitive, uh, these platform roles are actually a way to help firms differentiate themselves. So if you want to go for a platform role, it kind of you're doing a little bit more of the talent, the operations, um, content marketing, communications, business development can actually fall under this um, as well. And you're helping a lot with the community um, networking and events for the different portfolio companies. So there really is a wide range of options to choose from. Um, but for this for this episode in particular, we are going to focus on the investing side. 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I often get asked this question, well, what is a typical VC background? Um, and the simple answer is there isn't one really. I mean, from the firm I'm currently interning at, Mosaic Ventures, we I see a lot of different archetypes and people come from different industries. So for example, we have people that come from startups. And as a as I was researching this um, episode, um, the news broke out that the ex-COO of GoCardless, Carlos Gonzalez, recently joined Index as a partner. So if you were in the startup space before, going into venture capital is a um, it's a very exciting option. The other thing to mention is that there are a lot of ex-bankers, especially their work in the TMT teams that go into VC because they would have effectively done the same deals, just much later stage. And now they're looking to move in terms of a kind of a different different um, stage of investment, but more or less utilizing the similar skill set. Um, what ha- what other backgrounds have you seen, Andrew? I have seen some consultants go into VC. Some people go straight out of college. You know, that's a little bit less common. Usually you have a few years of experience in the professional world before making the transition. A lot of people from big tech, um, engineers, product managers, Sometimes if you started your own company, like you said, or if you worked at a high growth startup uh, or a portfolio company of that VC. So really, when you look at it, there's so many different backgrounds that can go into VC. It's not as structured as, you know, PE recruiting, for example. But I think the one really common thread when it comes to VC backgrounds is there has to be a very, very strong and demonstrated interest in VC, whether that's in a certain sector or, you know, a certain, um, you have opinions on certain trends, there has to be demonstrated interest and you have to be able to articulate that really well. Mm-hmm. And I would totally uh, agree with that. Uh, not just an interest in VC, but also an interest in tech. Um, are you following the tech news? Are you excited by the latest, you know, trends and development, new technologies? Are you an early adopter of new technologies? And have you been, you know, trying them out in your spare time? Maybe you're building some apps, but it, you have to be interested in tech predominantly. Otherwise, it's very difficult to fade an interest in VC because those are the businesses that they mostly invest in. Exactly. Very, very true. And so, like you said, you have to be very clear on why you actually want to do VC and you have to be able to articulate that well, given your background and what your interests are, really combining that into a very um, you know, thoughtful answer. You've kind of gone through the, this thinking process, why you wanted to go into VC. Do you want to kind of share with us some of your insights in terms of um, like what were your main motivations and what was your story of why VC? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this definitely my thought process for actually why I want to go into VC and actually articulating that it's gone through so many iterations at this point, as you kind of become more clear on what you're actually interested in and what you want to do in the future. But I think for me, you know, working in in banking, obviously working on very large deals. um, And I was kind of thinking, okay, these are interesting companies. They're not super innovative, though. They're kind of very much status quo. So when talking to a lot of people who are working in various different industries, when thinking about what I wanted to do in the future, the people who are working in early stage investing, their day to day just seemed so interesting to me. Um, You know, they were talking to these founders who had these 
amazing ideas for these innovative companies that would help to broaden access or solve these problems that would eventually make people's lives easier or better. And for me, the interest really ties back to healthcare. That's one sector that I'm super passionate about um, that I really want to dive deeper to as I go through my career in VC. And I think that really ties back to, um, you know, broadening access and uh, improving uh, people's lives through different technologies. VC is really a way to be able to make that a reality. And as an investor, you're kind of you're kind of there for the whole process from ideation phase, from the founders, how they're actually building their company to the execution phase. So that's something that was really exciting to me to kind of be a part of that whole journey. I, I would totally agree with that. And just to add, um, what I've also seen from my classmates at London Business School that have got VC internships and full-time job, one different, differentiating factor between, you know, that story of why VC compared to why investment banking is, the stories are very deeply personal and they really draw on a lot of your very unique and personal experiences. So, you know, you've mentioned healthcare and why are you excited by widening access to that sort of service to a lot of people. Whereas I find in certain other sectors, this story is less important. It's kind of like a tick box exercise and everyone pretty much regurgitates the same answer and that flies. But I think with VC interviews, the ones I've done is everyone really tries to dig like three levels deep and they might ask you the question why several times. Um, so having a concrete answer really helps. And just to kind of, as I was reflecting on my um, interview process with um, previous VC firms, for me, the way I saw kind of my background in investment banking is it was fairly backward looking, fairly reactive. You know, we looked through the numbers, through the historicals, and you're kind of like maybe adjusting the numbers going forward based on some macro trend, but you weren't necessarily coming up with new product lines that you can redefine a whole space. And the example I had in my mind was Airbnb. Like that, Airbnb almost created a new sector. Well, it, it did create a new sector that didn't exist before because, you know, people could imagine that there was demand to sleep on someone else's couch and actually pay for it versus staying in a hotel, uh, which was the status quo at the time. And seeing that those VC dollars can actually help that new sector, um, I guess, come to fruition and have quite a lot of impact on our lives. And I think when people think about impact, they always think about something big and saving lives, but actually like reducing pain points and friction when you go on holiday and, you know, within the next day, you can go and find an Airbnb and the whole process can be quite seamless. That is imp improving people's life in kind of a, a smaller way. And I guess the other thing that I really particularly liked about VC is that um, it has a bird's eye view across many different sectors, especially you know if you're a sector agnostic in a VC fund, but also gives you an opportunity to dive deeper whenever you're doing a deal with a particular startup, let's say Femtech. And, and then you get to know the Femtech space fairly well. And then you back kind of back having that bird's eye view and maybe you might be looking into procurement tech the next day. And I'm someone that's fairly dynamic and really likes to learn a lot of different things. And I really enjoy going up that learning curve. So for me, that was very, very exciting. 
Yeah, and I think what you just mentioned right there is having the bird's eye view and then going deeper. That's, you know, a perfect answer to why people would want to do VC and not work at a startup. Because some of the reasons that we mentioned for why we want to do VC, it's also applicable to working at a high growth startup. So sometimes during the interview process or when you're talking to people and you're kind of trying to articulate that interest in VC, people will say, oh, well, if you're interested in early stage technology, why don't you join one of these startups in one of these industries that you are so excited about? So I think also being able to articulate like you just did, um, you know, having that dynamic view, that bird's eye view of why you want to do VC and not a startup is also really important. And I've definitely been asked this question <laughs> quite a few times yeah. at interviews. What, why not a startup? And just to add to that is, um, with it, if you're joining at a startup, the roles are very, very different, um, and the tasks that you do. So even if you're joining fairly early stage, you will be jack of all trades, and you'll be literally getting your hands dirty and building whatever is required. Maybe you might be, you know, um, driving around delivering products. It, you never know what a mixed bag you're going to get. Um, whereas at least in VC, you're of course going to be doing many different things, but you can kind of bucket them into kind of deal sourcing, um, due diligence and execution. So you kind of are, it's a little bit, I don't, I don't want to say predictable, but it's a little bit more mapped out in terms of tasks um, you, you, you can do. Um, and I think this kind of links us uh, to our next point quite nicely in terms of skill sets, really reflecting on like, what is your skill set you're bringing to the table based on your previous background? And what do you actually enjoy doing, for example? So as I was reflecting through my own interview journey, I knew I could do the excels. I knew I could do the models but I was just not getting like that excited about those. And so for me, it was really about meeting founders or meeting people within the startup space and just getting excited about new trends and like obsessively reading up on those. And I knew at this point that I didn't want to do kind of growth equity or series C funds. I, I really wanted to kind of be um, in a fund where I could do a bit of the numbers um, because I still kind of enjoyed that, but that wouldn't be my main role. I also had the additional networking side, the additional being able to listen through the founder pitches and really learn something new about a, a business and a sector. So that's how I ended up at Series A. I think also it's really important because, you know, when you do come from a banking background, a lot of times it makes more sense maybe to go into later stage VC or even growth equity. Uh, the skill set just transfers a little bit more easily from from those two um, those two roles. So I do think that if you are coming from a finance background, banking background, for example, and you do want to go earlier stage seed series A, that's even more of a reason to really tighten up your story on why you want to do VC and why you want to switch from, you know, doing these large deals that are, you know, way late stage to going much earlier and actually working with founders. And, and like you said, doing the research, educating yourself, that's one way that you have to, you have to go down that path if you, you know, want to make your story believable and you want to be as knowledgeable as possible. And how did you go about doing your research and educating yourself? Because with the internet, there are so many resources that it can be very like mind boggling. You just don't know even where to start and paralyzing. Exactly. I think overwhelming is also another way to describe <laughs> it. Um, I mean, initially, when I was starting to 
learn about the VC industry, I ended up talking to a lot of people, you know, from who are investing at the seed stage to growth equity, just to learn about what they were doing day to day, what they really liked and disliked about their jobs. So there was a little bit of that in-person interaction. But then once you kind of get a sense for what, you know, what you like, what you don't like, and you want to dig deeper, like you said, the internet is, there's, it's, it can be paralyzing because there are so many resources out there. So you have to be a little bit focused when you're going through. So I definitely started um, going on Twitter. I followed a lot of people in the VC and startup, startup ecosystem um, that would post interesting you know, blog posts or you know, daily threads or thoughts um, on different industries. I would start listening to different podcasts that were VC or startup related. Um, you know, signing up for different blogs and newsletters. These are all ways to really learn about um, not only just, you know, the VC and startup, e- startup ecosystem, but also just to uh, stay top of mind on, you know, what are these investors and founders, what are they thinking about in terms of trends? What's important to them? Um, and, you know, what's the whole process like? So I think really diving deep into all of these resources, podcasts, blogs, newsletters, Twitter, these are all ways to get a little bit more knowledgeable. So interestingly enough, I didn't go down the Twitter route. I, I found Twitter just like way too much um, engagement and traffic. But what I did do is I followed a lot of the VCs on LinkedIn. Um, and actually, they post really interesting content, especially um, deals they've done, new initiatives they're in- announcing. Fe- like, for example, Playfair Capital has female founder hours, and they will talk a lot about these initiatives. And I thought that was a really good way for me to at least start learning the the lingo um, in the ecosystem. And also tying back to what you said, understand what is really important to them because the content they're posting means it's worth posting, right? Um, and I wanted to pick up on a few of the other things you said, um, newsletters. Um, the, the newsletters that I kind of tend to read are strictly VC and Sifted, um, Crunchbase and TechCrunch. Do you read any other ones? Yeah, I mean, Strictly VC, that's definitely one that um, I'm a big fan of. I also um, subscribe to Fem Street. Um, a lot of female investors, female founders and operators um, are part of that um, newsletter. They actually have a Slack group um, that I'm part of. So that's been a great resource for me to actually uh, meet people, learn about what different people are doing within investing and startups. And it's actually also a way that I've, I've met people uh, in person through different through different uh, events, obviously, before COVID, but even now, um, virtually still meeting people. So um, that's that's probably my favorite one. And just to add to the list, um, Benedict Evans is a venture partner at Mosaic Ventures. So kind of shout out to Benedict, but I read his newsletter quite a lot. Um, and that's really interesting. He covers kind of recent news, but also dives down deeper into trends. And the other one is Axios Parata, uh, more kind of VC deals. But it's also worth mentioning that the bigger VC funds have their own newsletters on their website. So your kind of Excels, your Sequoias uh, and the likes. And it's definitely worth signing up to those just to kind of expand your reading remit. And of course, I'm a big podcast junkie. So I listen to a lot of podcasts, either whilst eating breakfast or just, you know, general kind of household chores. Um, And I find that's a really great way for me to get sound bites of information. I like Equity, uh, which is the um, TechCrunch podcast um, with Alex Wilhelm. 
um, I, I just find it's very upbeat, very enthusiastic. Um, I also listen to Harry Stabbing's 20 Minute VC um, because it's 20 minutes and I like anything that is very digestible. Strictly VC also does a podcast. And then of course, A16Z um, does a lot of different topics, um, but they're usually slightly on the longer side. There are many others, but I kind of like the short, um, yeah, sound bites. Exactly. And I think, uh, you know, 20 Minute VC, uh, it's a it's a great interactive, tw- a shorter podcast that you can listen to, whereas A16Z, also one of my favorite ones, uh, can really dive deeper into a lot of topics if you have a particular sector interest. And then, um, so once you're kind of getting up to uh, up the learning curve on being well-versed within the industry, um, what will be kind of a, a next step? What are you um, looking for here? I think the next step is that, you know, after you do really figure out what sector you're interested in, um, kind of what types of VCs you're interested in, I think, you know, VCs really like to see thought leadership and conviction of ideas. So I think a few ways that you can kind of go down this route is you can come up with an investment memo um, and then over time come up with a few of them so you have a portfolio of work to show and speak about at interviews. Also something like, you know, writing a blog or a newsletter or starting a podcast. That's, those are great ways of gaining traction, really cementing your ideas at a point in time. Most importantly, all of these are ways to really differentiate yourself and kind of to tie it back to what we said um, earlier. This is, it really is a way to kind of show that you have a keen and demonstrated interest and you're putting down those interests onto paper or if you're doing a podcast that way. Um, these are ways to just really help yourself stand out as you're going through the interview process. And I love this point about differentiating yourself, because if you think about what VCs do is they also try to differentiate themselves to founders, right? Because capital and money is fairly homogenous homogenous it's you know one dollar from one vc it's almost similar to another dollar in another vc firm so they work a lot on their branding and i think they also want to have people that have been doing that for themselves as well in order like you said to demonstrate interest and kind of track record it's not something that you woke up this morning is like right I'm going to interview for a VC firm. Let's go. (laughs) Exactly. And I think, you know, especially for me, one thing that I've noticed coming from from banking is a lot of people, as I'm going through interview processes, have said, uh, okay, so you're in banking. Why do you want to go to early stage investing? There's not too much of a connection there. So when I do mention that, oh, I have this blog that I've written that I've been writing now for two years and There are all these pieces that I have at different points in time that have talked about certain trends that were really big at the time. It kind of shows, um, you know, this thought portfolio that they can refer to to kind of get a sense of what I've been thinking over the last couple of years. And it shows that it is something that I have been interested in for a while. It's not like you said something that I just woke up and one day decided that I wanted to randomly go into venture capital. I love this story. And I guess it's quite similar to me coming from investment banking when I started the Write It Out at LBS podcast. Um, Initially kind of started with interviewing classmates on trends within the startup sectors. But then as I started discovering more kind of really cool LBS alumni within the VC space, 
um, I kind of decided to start interviewing them. And it was really quite interesting that it was a great way for me to learn about the sector and the space. I got times in their diary, which was really difficult to do um, because associates are very busy, but I was also solving a pain point for them. And the pain point was, hey, associates at VCs don't typically get asked to speak on podcasts it's usually the partners and they were feeling fairly flattered um and actually that gave me a really nice resource um solution well re uh, give me really nice talking points within interviews um that i could speak about and really demonstrate my my interest as well as my knowledge so it was definitely a i guess a differentiating factor vis-a-vis -vis classmates and in fact funny story um i happened to interview juliet balin who was an associate of Mosaic Ventures um, way before I knew they were opening up for internships. And then clearly I built some rapport and relationship. And thereafter, uh, you know, it, it, I guess it made some sort of a difference when I was interviewing for them. It was a very grilling interview round. So Mosaic has very, very high expectations of the people they interview, but definitely is a huge differentiator. I also wanted to pick up on one of the points you previously mentioned about investment memos um, and kind of creating your own thought leadership and your own thesis. I've actually seen this done by a few classmates of mine at London Business School, and it's been um, it's worked surprisingly very well. So a particular classmate, he had a contrarian view on the travel sector. He was very, very bullish on it, even during COVID. And in order to build out his investment thesis, he interviewed a bunch of startups within the space, uh, which meant that he kind of knew the founders and got himself up to speed with, with, the, with the industry fairly quickly. He put together kind of 10 slides and it was really surprising the traction he got based on that document. He would send it to VCs and you would have partners that would get on calls with him. And for example, ask him questions about his thoughts, you know, not necessarily that they agreed with him, but that was kind of irrelevant. And on the back of those um, conversations, he would also introduce them to the startups and to the founders to the extent um, they were, the partners were interested in that. And I thought that was a very lovely way to demonstrate that you should be helpful to VCs very earlier on. And also he was being helpful to the founders, introducing them to the VCs even before they were fundraising. So definitely going out, doing additional work to stand out through various mediums pays off dividends massively. Exactly. I think being a value add and showing that you can do the job before you have the job is a really positive signal to VCs. And what about events? Because there's a lot of um, networking events that get vir virtual ones at the moment. Should you be going to those? Because they require quite a time commitment. 100%. I think that you should be going to as many virtual events, panels, networking sessions as possible uh, within the VC and startup, startup ecosystem. And, and now virtually, it's actually a great way to do it you know, you can actually meet people all across the country or even, you know, a different continent. It's, it's a great way to meet people. And I think that is the perfect way to really immerse yourself into the ecosystem and meet people, make connections and network. And, you know, you can find out about these events pretty easily, especially now virtually. They're doing a lot more of them. It's much easier to, you know, log onto your computer and sign into an event as opposed to, you know, maybe going in person. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these are in newspapers. There are a lot of, 
you know, guides online that you can find large tech events or panels. And I think all, you know, large cities will have a similar online guide. So now that we've covered, you know, that your VC story, why you want to go into VC, you've probably thought about, you know, the skill set that um, you can bring, but also what do you enjoy doing? So you already have some sort of an industry focus or at least a sector, um, well, sector or stage focus of VC. You have been doing a lot of research, um, hopefully find a way to stand out either through doing um, a podcast or writing something on Twitter or Medium or even, you know, writing a few investment memos. Um, you've gone through a bunch of events. So what's next? I think now that you get to the point that you really understand the VC landscape, you understand your skill set, you've educated yourself on it. I think you have to make a list of all of the VCs that you're interested in, in terms of sector, in terms of stage. You can do that through a simple Google search through Dealroom, Sifted. They all have lists, Crunchbase. Um, so, and, you know, depending on what geography you're interested in, what stage or what sector, like I said, that's a good way to kind of narrow that search down a little bit. And I definitely remember going through this exercise myself as I kind of narrowed down that I'm fairly sector agnostic. I'm really excited about learning about new sectors, but I also wanted to intern for a Series A fund. I literally went and, you know, Googled top Series A VCs in Europe <laughs> and then got the list from Sifted and kind of looked through their portfolio companies and did a, an Excel spreadsheet for myself just in ranking them in order of like priority for me, I guess. And the priority was kind of the deals they've done, um, who was in their team, why was I excited about that sort of VC, um, what were some of the opportunities that I saw, whether there was um, a London only a London-based investment team or whether they had them scattered around um, Europe. So that was kind of my more formulaic approach. But I think it was it's probably worth touching upon what are the main recruitment channels for VCs because it's really not that obvious from the outside. Yeah, I think, like you said, it's really kind of a black box process and there it's it's not as widely publicized definitely as other industries. But I think to just kind of start it off, a few ways that you can go about finding jobs or finding job postings for VC are LinkedIn, Twitter, um, you know, MBA school boards are one way that I'm sure you're very familiar with. But I think really just networking and, you know, staying on top of, for example, which uh, VC firms have raised a new fund, they're more likely to hire if they've just raised a new fund. So I think staying on top of all of that, um, the news that's coming about and keeping in touch with people at these firms is is the best way to really make yourself um, stand out and make yourself available. I love that point you mentioned about um, seeing when new funds were being raised. And I think that is maybe not as much as appreciated as it should be, because um, as um, as VCs raise new funds, um, it means they have a lot more dry powder, which means simply money to deploy. And as you have more money to deploy, sometimes you need to increase the headcount in your team, i.e. juniors, to help you source and execute those deals. So it's a pretty good signal that this fund will be looking for someone to join them either six or 12 months down the line if they've just 
just closed the new fund. Um, so that's definitely one to look out for. And I remember in Strictly VC newsletters, and they always talk about which are the new funds um, that have been raised. So actually be more proactive in reaching out to these VCs earlier on, maybe congratulating them on their new fund. And then on the back of that, initiating discussions is probably a good way to get your foot in the door early. Mm -hmm. And one other that I really want to kind of emphasize a little bit more is Twitter. I think Twitter is a huge goldmine of opportunities where you can see job postings. Sometimes a lot of the smaller funds don't necessarily go through the well-known job posting routes such as LinkedIn, or they don't even have their own careers page. Sometimes they just a partner or a principal or even an associate from the fund will just go on Twitter and say, hey, we're hiring, or maybe they put out a blog post relating to uh, their new job search that they're doing. And it's, you know, they'll just say something like, please email me a couple of paragraphs about this trend or what company you're interested in and send it to this email. So I think that's really, you know, something that is becoming a little bit more appreciated, but it's a huge opportunity to actually uh, see a lot of job, po job postings that aren't available anywhere else. And the way I think about also recruitment for VC, I think about the public and the private channels. So the public are everything we've just mentioned. Everything is in the public domain. Everyone theoretically has access to this um, information as long as you know where to look. But there's also the private channel and the private channel is coffee chats, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and I think that shouldn't be underestimated because VC is a network driven industries. VCs, uh, VC funds, uh, associates, partners themselves network a lot with founders, with each other. And they almost expect candidates to do the same when they're looking for their next opportunity to really hustle and be on their kind of top game when it comes to coffee chats. Um, what are some of the benefits that you, you have seen uh, by doing the coffee chats you've done previously? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's a couple of things. One, you really get to know uh, the person at the firm, you've created that network. And once you have that connection, that person, you can ask for additional intros, and it kind of helps you broaden your whole network that way you can keep kind of asking for intros from different people that you get connected to. It's also a way to kind of understand what that firm is thinking about and what's top of mind for them in terms of sectors, what are some areas that maybe they're not as well versed in that you could potentially add value to, you could come up with some interesting ideas, or if you know some startups in that space that they might not be familiar with, that's a potential intro for them. And that's another value add. So I think there's, you know, definitely value to be added on both sides. Um, you know, one story in particular that I can share is I know um, one woman who she was trying to get a role at a VC fund. She was in touch with this fund for a year and a half. Um, and then they had raised a new fund at that time after a year and a half. And of course, she had been, you know, very, very proactive. She had been reaching out to them, keep, keeping them updated on, on what she had done, some of her ideas. She had introed a few startups for them. So when they had raised that new fund and they were hiring, she was first choice for them. So sometimes it is, you know, a long process, but it ultimately really pays off if if you're if you can be that person who's um, you know, first in line or the first person that comes to mind for them when they are thinking about hiring. Mm -hmm. 
And I guess it also helps you um, in terms of this see your very overqualified and great looking candidates, how to stay top of mind, but also be invited to the door because, you know, even if they're running a competitive process, sometimes they don't have the time and resources. So they just might um, run a competitive process with small number of people and referrals. It's what VCs really overweigh because that's how they also do business. They do due diligence on the founders and they call up a lot of ex-colleagues um, and having a referral in means a lot to them. Yep, definitely. Um, and then the other thing is, um, how do you go about getting the coffee chat? So my approach, I mean, I like my Excel spreadsheets and fairly formulaic. So the way I did it is um, I looked at my top kind of 10, 15 funds series A within Europe. And then I literally went through my uh, LinkedIn connections and saw who is connected to someone within that fund. Um, and, you know, hopefully by this point, we've realized kind of the value of relationship building. Um, and that person would have sent me an intro to the VC fund. Um, so that was one way I just heavily leveraged LinkedIn. The other exercise I did is I looked through London Business School alumni directory. And the fortunate thing with LBS is as a community, everyone is very, very helpful. Um, irrespective of, you know, the level of seniority they are. So I managed to reach out cold through the directory to a few people within these funds. But because we had the B school in common, they more often than not responded. I think I've got about 80% response rate on the emails I've written. Um, and actually, that's how I tried to do my coffee chats initially. And then once I ended up having a coffee chat, I've always asked, is there anyone else that you would suggest that I uh, speak to um, in order to kind of broaden my outreach and my research? And it's, that's surprisingly very uh, effective way to really scale your interactions. How did you go about um, yeah, finding people to coffee chat with? I think it's really about using and leveraging your network as aggressively as possible. And I think, like you mentioned, if it is possible to get a warm intro to someone at one of your target funds or a fund that you really want to work at or are interested in learning more about, that's something that you should 100% do because, you know, you're more likely to get a response from a warm, warm intro as opposed to a cold email. Of course, a cold email, you're it's still possible that you could get a response, but you know, having that mutual connection is something that's really helpful. And that's definitely something that I've taken advantage of. And like you mentioned, just once you do have that conversation or that initial coffee chat, I think asking that person, who are some other people that you could potentially introduce me to that, you know, may be helpful or that I could add value to, that's another way of really taking that connection that you've made and then leveraging that. Absolutely. Um, and then do you have any kind of, um, oh, sorry, one thing I wanted to mention is um, a quick hack tip um, in terms of the coffee chats. Um, as I was going through my list, I obviously had top funds that I really wanted to speak to. And then I had funds that are just like, eh, these are nice, but uh, these are not like my number one. Um, I actually started with the funds that were my not number ones um, as a way to use them as a training ground and see how those interactions went and then moved up through the funds that I really, really wanted. And I guess the logic is quite similar to when founders go out to pitch if they're raising a new um, 
you know, series A round, they never go to the top funds that they really want as investors. They always start at the bottom of the list and the rationale is very simple. You need to get the practice in. You reiterate your pitch every time you pitch to an investor, you get feedback. So hopefully by the time you've done your pitch for the 50th time, you're going to be pretty damn spot on and more likely to impress the top funds. So just a little hack tip <laughs> that seemed to work well for me. I don't think, yeah, I don't think you can, you know, even emphasize that em enough. It's so important because I think when you're actually going through the process of educating yourself and really understanding why you want to do VC, you th you may think that you have a good answer for some of the questions that VCs might ask you in your head, but actually just going through the process of having a conversation with a VC or, you know, with someone who's in that space. And you could kind of realize when you're going through it for the first time that, hey, maybe my answers don't sound as tight as I would like them to. So you really don't want, you know, the first fund that you speak to kind of to be your dream fund. You really want to go through several iterations to make sure your story has no holes in it. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. Um, so let's just say you've just landed a coffee chat, uh, warm connection, someone that like pretty good fund. How do you go about uh, preparing for that coffee chat? And what do you even prepare? I think you have to research the fund as much as possible. Try and you know get a sense of what their recent deals are. You know what their portfolio companies are. Uh, what are some trends that the fund is potentially looking at based on some of their recent deals? And one thing that's important to note is that not all this information you're going to find on the website. So you're really going to have to do your homework a little bit more by you know going through Crunchbase or Pitchbook or even just google searches that's kind of sometimes the best way to find things because you know not everything is going to be uh, fully available when you go on the site so i think you really have to know as much as possible about what the fund is doing and then also try and be a little bit forward forward looking i mean that's the whole game of vc so kind of thinking about what is something that they could potentially you know be interested in a couple of years down the line based on their previous deals and you know have some knowledge about that so i think just coming really, really prepared about what the fund has done and what their what their interests are. That's one thing that you can't really go without. Mm. I, I totally agree with that. Also, um, given that you're asking people almost for a favor for 30 minutes out of their day where the opportunity cost of their time is really, really big, i.e. they could be speaking to a founder, you know, for those 30 minutes, they could be speaking to a peer within the industry and, you know, exchanging information and they've spent 30 minutes with you, you want to be prepared just out of respect as well. To, um, to So you're not kind of t total rookie and they have to explain to you what a VC is and what C series A is. Like, if you're at that point and you're having that conversation, you've messed up. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not a good coffee chat. <laughs> and I think yeah. they people uh, managed to pick up on that very, very quickly. And I think a lot of people underestimate the prep. Um, a good quote actually comes to mind, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And I just, I just love that. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I found from my coffee chats is that um, listening is so underestimated. But like, if you ask them a question, listen to the answer they're giving you and always try to solve how, what is that pain point and how you can be helpful. Because remember, after the coffee chat, you need to follow up. And so being a very attentive listener, you know, maybe taking notes whilst you're on Zoom with them or do whatever you need to do is very, very important. Let them finish their thoughts. Um, the other thing is, 
ask them personal questions, you know, like why did they decide to move into VC if they came from another industry? And why did they decide this fund in particular? What was their decision-making process? And actually those two questions, even if you recycle at every single coffee chat, give you great insights into their personal and very unique story as to why they chose that fund. And, you know, guess what? That's another hacking tip you can definitely recycle that answer. <laughs> Just, you know, modify it, but recycle the answer. Hopefully, once you get to interview with that fun, why that fun? Because they would have given you some really great golden nuggets, which are just not on the internet. <laughs> One other point to emphasize is that you said to really listen during these coffee chats. I think that's also important from the perspective of, for example, if this fund has made a few investments into the femtech space, and that's something that you have done your research on, um, you know, you should really listen to their point of view, because no matter how much research that you've done on it, they're probably going to know a lot more than you. So that's, you know, something you definitely don't want to act like you know more about them in a space that they've invested into. So, and it's also a great learning opportunity for you um, if that's a sector that you're interested in. I also think one other way that you can add value during these coffee chats is to uh, potentially intro some startups to the fund. That's only if you've come across really good startups that would be relevant and if you have a good connection to the founder and if they want to be introduced to the fund obviously it's not something that you should force but if you think the intro could be helpful on both sides it's definitely something that is a value add and that's something positive that you can bring to the coffee chat and i actually really wanted to emphasize this exact point you've just made about introducing them to founders um, because it's so critical to what the role of an associate actually is. They spend majority of their day looking through new startups, um, vetting them, thinking about deals. And actually that is a huge value add. So for example, uh, even before I was interviewing at Mosaic, um, as I was interviewing like Juliet Bailey for the podcast, I introduced her to two founders that I was speaking to that may be kind of interest uh, of inter interest to her in the fund with one of the one of the startups was in the travel space and you know that wasn't a space that they were thematically pursuing which was you know totally fine it, sometimes you just don't know out of, uh, from the outset the second founder was in the restaurant tech space and I know that Juliet had like a follow-up conversation with this particular founder and is kind of monitoring the startup so that even before I was interviewing with them that was very kind of preemptive and um and also ensured that i was trying to build that relationship with them from very early on also remember vcs um trade on their credibility and being helpful because they never know where an intro from their side can lead to so it's highly appreciated actually definitely i think a couple other things that are important when you're kind of wrapping up this coffee chat and when you're kind of going in things that you should be thinking about, obviously you're doing the coffee chat because you eventually want to get a job in VC. That's mm -hmm. the motivation from your side. But I think it's really important to also not ask for the job right away. You know, like you mentioned earlier, this is, they're taking out 30, 45 minutes of their time from a very busy day to talk to you. So, you know, you shouldn't necessarily be asking them right away for, what kind of role that you could have or if you could have a job right away at their fund. But, you know, it is something that you can 
maybe think about asking uh, what their hiring process is potentially going to be in the next 12 months, you know, whether that's something that they're thinking about or if it's, you know, the door is closed on that in the short term. Also, I think one thing that you can ask them as you're ending and closing this coffee chat, um, just say that, you know, you really want to continue to broaden your network and ask them for intros. That's one way that, like we mentioned, you have to keep expanding your network as you're going through this process. Or even, um, you, you know, or even you can ask them, you know, what are some of the sectors that you might be currently looking into? or What trends are you excited about? And then that gives you actually a new, some new ideas for future avenues of research. Um, so just so you can kind of go and dig deeper because they're also in the weeds of, you know, everything that's going on around them and certain things they're seeing, you may not be seeing on social media to the same extent. Yes, definitely. One thing to mention on a don't, don't um, do this. Um, don't try and flex your knowledge. Don't go into a coffee chat trying to show off how much research you've done um, and almost try to sound an expert. Of course, a little bit of signaling that you have done your homework is great. However, the whoever you're coffee chatting with are uh, doing this job day in day out they will know far more about the industry and the sector than you would ever be able to find you know on twitter or linkedin so be humble there's nothing worse than coming across as fairly arrogant and obnoxious because you've done tons of like you know research and because vc is a people's industry i think a few wrong impressions or first few initial wrong impressions can really land you in trouble <laughs> when they're doing those reference calls. So be humble. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's a small industry of people know each other. So you definitely have to go with your best foot forward. Hmm. So now that you've had, let's say, a, hopefully a good coffee chat, how do you go about um, staying top of mind, kind of saliency in fact, after that initial intro. So whenever a job opportunity um, comes up, they think about you next time. After the coffee chat, I think you definitely want to send a thank you email. That should be the first thing that you do and follow up on some of the points that you've talked about during the coffee chat. For example, you know, if they did um, mention that they would like an intro to a startup that you mentioned, that's something that you should, you know, start getting the process started on. Um, or if they've mentioned a couple of, you know, pain points or industries that they're interested in, that could be something that, you know, you start your research on. You know, the thank you email is definitely very, um, you know, underrated. And I think it actually speaks volumes because even if it's something that they don't necessarily respond to, uh, they definitely notice it and they notice who sends the thank you emails and who doesn't. And just to add to that, I think um, I've definitely before, you know, in coffee chats, I've mentioned certain HBR articles that I've read along the business school, and it doesn't necessarily have to be deals. It could be on the softer side of either leadership. We have very excellent professors at LBS like Dan Cable um, and that write Andrew Lickerman, for example, that write a lot of HBR thought leadership. And I do end up um, forwarding on a lot of these articles to the VCs. Now, it's kind of irrelevant whether they read it or not but the principle of reciprocity is fairly strong so um, us as human beings we like to reciprocate it's kind of in our nature um, so even giving them something little that is relevant to the discussion following up it does evoke the principle so that's kind of my way of doing it 
Um, have you found anything that works for you, Anjum? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, definitely sending that thank you email and then, you know, not only just following up on the points that you've talked about during the coffee chat, I think, you know, in addition to that, you know, a lot of times this is going to be a long process and you're going to have to be in touch with this person for maybe six months, a year, two years until potentially an opportunity comes up and it could be with that person or through that person. So I think it's also really important to you know, keep them updated along the way. What are you doing? What are some things that could be interesting to them, um, you know, as you go on your process of research or meeting different startups? And how can you really add value to them? You know, just to reiterate, it's really about showing that you can do the job before you have the job. That's the biggest value add that you can have to a VC. Yeah, I couldn't agree even more uh, with this. And also checking ins, I mean, check in every two to three months. I think that's a fairly good frequency. If you do it too often, then you're just bloody annoying. <laughs> if you if you do it uh, too infrequent, then they just forget about you. So that sort of two to three months feels like the right um, frequency. Also, when you follow up, no essays, they're very busy. Their inbox is constantly full. Like keep it short and snappy, bullet points to kind of to the point. Um, the amount of kind of friends that I have within the VC space when they show me these essays uh, or follow-up emails they get, it's just too much. Like no one's going to read it. Like quick thank you note. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Fab, so I think we're coming up to the wrap-up today. Um, we've had a very fruitful, um, in-depth um, discussion, but what are uh, kind of some of the main takeaway points that you want our listeners to, to kind of go away thinking about? I think it's really important that when you're going into the whole process of educating yourself about VC, preparing for these VC interviews, first of all, really understand what type of role you're interested in. And understand that, you know, your background, there's no typical VC background. You can come from a lot of different industries, but I think what you really need to have is a very, very clear interest in venture capital and know why you want to pursue it. That's something that is super, super important as you're going through the interview process, the coffee chats, you have to be able to articulate that well. I think as you're going through educating yourself, you know, reading all the different blogs and the new newsletters and listening to the different podcasts, maybe trying and try to have some sort of show some thought leadership, whether that means writing your own blog posts, coming up with your own podcast, just showing some sort of conviction in your ideas um, and some sort of thought portfolio that you can reference when you're going through interviews and coffee chats. So I think those are the two, you know, really big key points that I would I would really try and emphasize are knowing why you want to do VC, being able to articulate that well, and differentiating yourself and showing that you have that clear interest. Those are those are the two key takeaways for me. And that's a really fab summary summary. Just to add one additional point is go hard and go heavy on the networking. You, I cannot emphasize that enough. A lot of the things that get spoken about in coffee chats are really kind of great sources for A, for you to kind of beef up your knowledge and B, really to be in front of the right people. Even if it's not now the time for a job, they will come about. So make sure you stay on top of your networking and the saliency effect is very, very powerful. Amazing. I guess next episode, we'll be actually talking about the interview. Once you've done everything we've discussed so far successfully, 
what the hell should you be preparing for the interview in order to get that dream VC job? Stay tuned in for next episode. <laughs>